Well, hi, everybody. Great to see you at the end of what has certainly been a pretty crazy week with wildfires burning and 90 degree heat one day and snow falling the very next. And we've obviously been praying uh, for our city, for Northern Colorado, for California. And of course, we've been praying for our Timberline family as well. This has been a what just happened kind of week. So glad that you're joining us today and let me add my voice as a voice of welcome as well. Whether you're a, a regular part of the Timberline family or someone tuning in for the very first time, welcome. It's great to have the opportunity to share with you. We're in, the, we're in a new series, a new teaching series called What Just Happened? Because there are many episodes in the Bible where something shocking, something radical or surprising took place. We began the series just last weekend. We were looking at that Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And a shocking episode unfolded because he took the place of the lowliest servant or slave. He washed his disciples' feet. And last weekend, we saw that Jesus has called us to be servants in our world where love is often reciprocal. I'll love you if you love me, and Jesus calls us to a different way of living. Well, this weekend, we're looking at another meal that Jesus shared and the events that led up to it. This weekend, we're thinking about curiosity happened. We're gonna go to Jericho, the city of Jericho, and to the really well-known often the popular children's story, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who he got, he got curious and he got his life changed as a result. Now, it's often been said that if you wanted a picture uh, and a, a visual in your mind when looking at the story of Zacchaeus, think of Danny DeVito stuck up a tree. Maybe that will help. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 19 and the first verse. Jesus entered Jericho, and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your home today, at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. I don't know whether this has ever happened to you. It certainly has occurred in my life or more than one occasion. You're out in a, a crowded shopping mall or maybe you walk into a restaurant and as you're strolling along, minding your own business, suddenly someone waves at you. And, and you look at them and you're trying to think, how do I know you? Perhaps it's somebody from Timberline. Uh, but you instinctively just smile and, and you wave back. Maybe you say, hi, how you doing? And it is only then that you realize 
that they weren't waving at you at all, but at a person behind you. And so your raised hand, you kind of cringing, you lower it because they weren't greeting you at all. The greeting was for somebody else. I wonder whether Zacchaeus felt something of that the day that Jesus came by. He's not strolling into a restaurant. Zacchaeus is stuck up a tree or he's climbed up a tree and Jesus speaks to him. And I wonder if Zacchaeus thought, are you, are you really talking to me? Should I respond to you? Is it me that you are interested in? This man, this chap called Zacchaeus, this tax collector who lived in the Jericho region. Who was he? Well, first of all, he was a man who had a great life when you look at it on the surface. He was a rich guy living in a, a really rich area, a tax collector. The Roman authorities used to sell the franchise for tax collecting to the highest bidder. So you had to have some money to get into the trade. And if you were a tax collector, you weren't paid a salary. You just had an agreement with the Romans that you would collect as much money as you could. Uh, you would pay them the allotted amount and then you would keep the rest for yourself, which was an ideal recipe for corruption and extortion. And Zacchaeus was doing really well because he had secured a great franchise. Taxes were collected at three places inland, Caponium, Jericho and Jerusalem. And Zacchaeus had one of the prime spots there in Jericho because it was a border city and it was a customs station. It was also one of the wealthiest cities in the area really fertile uh, place, uh, balsam groves and great palm forests and even a Herodian palace there. There was loads of money and Zacchaeus had this uh, opportunity to rake in the cash. And, and not only that, but he was the chief tax collector. That means that he was the kingpin. One commentator says he was the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel and he had the scruples of a modern day crack dealer. He was filthy rich in the fullest sense of the term. So when you look at this on the surface, Zacchaeus had a really great life. But then look closer because he had a terrible life. One historian says that tax collectors were the dung on the sandals of the Jews. They were officially designated as sinners. There were seven despised sinner trades where whoever you were, if you engaged in that occupation, you were automatically designated as unclean, as a sinner. That included tax collectors, barbers, tanners, and shepherds. And the tax collectors within that group were especially singled out. That's why the Bible talks about tax collectors and sinners. They were considered to be the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. It was believed that if a tax collector entered a house, then the food and the entire house was rendered unclean by their presence. And they were political pariahs as well because a tax collector, you'd have to sign up with the Roman authorities. And so the Jewish people viewed you as a lackey of Rome. You were, you were a traitor. And as a result of that, you were socially impoverished. So here is this man 
And without in any way being sizest in the comments here, the Bible tells us that he was a small man and he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. And I'm speculating, but commentators believe that this was not because he couldn't just peer over the top and see Jesus, but probably they were deliberately obstructing his view because they hated him. Oh, sorry, Zacchaeus, did I just elbow you? Oh, was that your foot I just stood on just then? He had a great life, this man. He had a terrible life. But he ended up with a transformed life, which itself is amazing because back in those days, it was believed that tax collectors, that it was impossible for them to repent and experience God's forgiveness and change. But this man, his life changed and the lives of many around him changed dramatically. And it all started off with curiosity. He ran ahead, which is very unusual. Any man of means in Jesus' day would not run, that would be considered to be inappropriate. A rabbi 200 years before Christ said, a man's manner of walking tells you who he is. But Zacchaeus runs down the street like a little boy following a parade. He is, he is curious. Now curiosity, curiosity can be a, a, a good thing or a bad thing. It can be very bad. Misguided curiosity ruined the world in the Garden of Eden. There's this perhaps mental conversation that Eve is having and then an actual conversation with Adam. I wonder, I wonder what that forbidden fruit tastes like. That, that was curiosity that went terribly wrong. And we read, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. How much damage has been done and how much damage will be done when we are inappropriately curious? Hmm. I wonder what that website looks like. I'll just check that out online. When we are curious and we say, I wonder what that illegal drug feels like. I wonder what it would be like to be with that person who is not my spouse. It's been said that curiosity killed the cat. It's a Shakespearean pun. And don't forget, the cat is supposed to have nine lives. And the saying goes that curiosity killed even it. Curiosity has caused a great deal of damage. But then curiosity has also improved the world as well. The inspiration for the Polaroid camera came when the inventor's three-year-old daughter said, why do we have to wait for film processing? Out of that curious statement came the compulsion or the motivation for inventor Edwin Land to invent the Polaroid camera. The man on the moon, the Apollo expeditions, landing, placing a man on the moon on July the 20th, 1969. Someone somewhere said, could we do this? We are curious. And I've often said it, I'm I'm so glad I wasn't here for the 4th of July. I'm so glad that um, you got independent because if you hadn't been independent, we would have just said, don't be silly about this idea of putting a man on the moon. Let's just settle down and have another cup of tea. But curiosity caused, caused people to say, maybe we could do that. And did you know that they did that 
um, with a computer that was fairly limited. I have a computer, I own a computer that is seven million more times, it has seven million more times memory than the guidance system for the Apollo missions. And it runs a hundred thousand times faster. It's called my smartphone. And so with extremely limited resources, some people got together, I suppose NASA, and they said, could we do this? Curiosity can be negative, it can be incredibly positive. And in Zacchaeus's case, it was so positive. We don't know why he was curious. Dr. Luke doesn't tell us that. Perhaps he'd heard about uh, Levi, who became Matthew. He was part of the tax collector community, and his life had been transformed by Jesus maybe about 18 months before this episode. Uh, and we read in Luke 5, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. In a small community, news travels fast. And, and so maybe Zacchaeus had heard about what had happened to his colleague, Levi, and now he was curious, he welcomes Jesus with joy. Joy is one of the great themes of Luke's gospel. We read about joy no less than 20 times in one form or another. Now, before we, before we dive in further here, let's just pause for a moment and ask this. Are you curious about Jesus? And maybe you've just vaguely tuned in today and you're kind of interested. Thanks for doing that. Can I say that Jesus wants to lead you deeper in your curiosity to actually meet him? Not just to have a vague interest in him, but to have a life-changing encounter with him. And there's a challenge too for us as believers. Are we still curious about Jesus? Are we still learning? Are we still gathering understanding and applying that into our daily lives. Well, let's focus in now and see uh, what we can learn about this encounter with Zacchaeus. First of all, let's realize that Jesus sees us. Jesus sees you. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up. Zacchaeus is up in the branches of that tree. It's a uh, if you're interested, and you're probably not, it's a ficus sycamorus. I really had to practice hard on, on pronouncing that. A sturdy tree, possibly about 40 feet high, with a short trunk and with wide branches. And Zacchaeus is up in the branches, and Jesus stops, and he looks at him. He sees him. We've all got a basic need to be seen, to be noticed, haven't we? When we're tiny, we say to our parents, look at me, Daddy. When you ride that bike for the first time, Mom, look at me. We all have a need to be uh, seen. But that can almost sound a little bit threatening, the idea that God sees us. Maybe we're almost a little intimidated by that. Nancy Myers, the... Catholic writer talks about the God of the gotcha, the God who's seeing us and he's just waiting to catch us out. 
And a negative idea of God seeing us can cause great destruction, like in the example of Friedrich Nietzsche, the, the philosopher. Some of his philosophy inspired the Nazis. And the son of a Lutheran minister, he angrily rejected his faith. He hated God and he hated the idea of being seen by God. Nietzsche said, he saw, God saw with eyes that saw everything, all my concealed disgrace and ugliness. He crawled into my dirtiest nooks. This most curious one had to die. But in the Bible, the idea of God seeing us, it's really rather beautiful. It's the reality that he not only sees us, but he cares for us. In the Old Testament, there's a story of a, a woman, a slave woman called Hagar, who had been despised and rejected by her, by her household, and she's a fugitive alone in the desert. And God appears to her. And here's what we read. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Genesis 16. You see, in the Bible, when, when we read that God sees, wrapped into that idea is his care. There's that old, that beautiful old hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow. It was written back in 1905 by uh, Sevilla Martin. And she wrote that hymn after encountering a rather beautiful elderly couple, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle, believe it or not. Uh, and she describes them as being uh, true saints of God. Uh, Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for 20 years, her husband confined to a wheelchair in lifelong disability. And despite all of their challenges and afflictions, she said these people lived happy Christian lives. They were inspiring. They brought comfort to all who know them. And one day this lady said to the Doolittles, why do you live like this? And Mrs. Doolittle said, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. God sees and he cares. And I think that Zacchaeus was probably used to being seen with narrowed eyes, with eyes that burned with anger and hatred. And now he becomes aware of a Jesus who looks up into the branches and, and sees him, but not with eyes of rejection or accusation. It's all really rather beautiful. Do you know that God sees you right now? And then secondly, Jesus knows us. Jesus knows you. The second part of verse 5, Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Jesus used his name. There's something really rather wonderful about when people address us by name. It's been said that hearing our name is the sweetest sound on earth. And there was perhaps even hope in the way that Jesus used the man's name because the name Zacchaeus means righteous one or pure one. As Jesus speaks the name to the man who feels completely rejected as a sinner, maybe in the warmth of using that name, there was hope inspired and a sense that Jesus knew this man Zacchaeus. And it was probably a bit embarrassing, wasn't it, being found stuck up a tree? If Jesus stopped by and visited me, I, I, I want to be Morgan Freeman, not Danny DeVito. But Jesus knew Zacchaeus. And Jesus knows you. And he knows me. 
He's not a romantic, if I can put it like that, because romance is mainly based on illusion. And then we, we get married and we live with that person. And in living with them, our love is tested because knowledge, full knowledge, comes in. But today, Jesus knows you and he knows me and we are fully known, fully known and fully loved. It's remarkable really, but you and I don't surprise him because he's never had any illusions about us. Jesus knows you. For some of us, that means that we need to stop hesitating about him, stop shrinking back into the shadows. I want to say it again. We are fully known and fully loved in that knowledge. Thirdly, Jesus wants us, wants you and I to be with him and he wants us to be together in him because Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. Kind of a bit weird, isn't it? Inviting yourself over, not just for dinner, but the language implies here that Jesus invited himself for an overnight stay. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, there's much to be done. He's in the last week of his life, but now he spends time with Zacchaeus. And we need to know this was more than just a meal and an overnight stay. Something was happening here that's called table fellowship. And we need to understand a little of the culture to really grasp the significance of it. You see, in those days, there was real social rigidity. You didn't just dine with anybody. So the Romans, for example, they were very class conscious. They wouldn't have had a tax collector like Zacchaeus at their, at their meal table. Uh, that's one of the reasons they franchised the tax collecting out because tax collecting, it was, you might make a lot of money, but you were despised in it. The Romans were very socially conscious. But the Jews, there were all kinds of reservations for them about who you had a meal with. First of all, they're angry at the, the Romans, and now Jesus is having a meal with a tax collector who's a lackey of the Romans. Now that was really dangerous politically because the, the table, the, meal, the, the place of the meal, it was like a survival symbol to a people who were occupied by a hated force. And now Jesus' behavior could be interpreted as being treasonous. He's actually endorsing someone who's a traitor, who's betrayed the people by, by cozying up with the Romans. And now Jesus is getting close to that man. And not only that, there were religious scruples as well. I've already talked about uh, Zacchaeus being a sinner, officially designated. The Pharisees, they um, had lots of rules about how you should eat and initially for good reason because they wanted everything in their lives to be an act of worship. Now that's a really good principle. Unfortunately, that had turned into a legalistic principle and so they had many, many rules, 229 texts about what you should do when you shared a meal and you had to tithe on the food, you had to make sure that those that you were um, eating the meal with were, were pure, that they were not one of the sinners. And now, as far as they're concerned, Jesus is breaking through all of those uh, social protocols. There were hand washings that you would 
have to um, engage in long before social distancing and COVID that we are experiencing. And you couldn't share a meal with anyone who might defile the proceedings. And if you did share a meal in the Middle East, that was a sign of intimacy and hospitality and honor and trusting acceptance. And Jesus shared that meal because he wanted to be with Zacchaeus. He wanted Zacchaeus to be with him. Can I say, Jesus wants us to be with him. Becoming a Christian and following Jesus is not just about obeying a set of principles, attending church in whatever form we're able to attend these days, praying some prayers. Being a Christian is about being with Jesus and this picture of a meal is very, very powerful. But also I think that that we need to understand that that affects our relationships together. Because when I look at the makeup, for example, of Jesus' team, they were such a mixed group. There you've got Matthew, that former tax collector, formerly known as Levi, and he's sitting alongside Simon the Zealot, who previously would have wanted to have planted a dagger beneath the man's shoulders. And you've got members of the 12, the 12 disciples who have got Hebrew Aramaic names, and you've got Philip and Andrew who've got Greek names. In other words, you've got a beautiful mixture of people from a different background of political and philosophical ideas together in the Jesus team. Jesus wanted them to be with him and he wanted them to be together. Can I just as an aside say that in this election year, with all of the diversity of opinions that we would feel in the Timberline family and the passions for which, in which we feel those, those opinions. Can we be gracious to each other? Can we model good disagreements and diversity of opinion in a world where there's so much shouting and clamoring to get our view as the one that is heard? We're allowed to have different shades of opinion. Let's be respectful. And let's model something of fellowship as we continue to navigate this year. Number four, Jesus brings beauty to our lives. He brings beauty to our lives. Verse eight, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll give back four times the amount. Without going into all the details, Zacchaeus went way further than the law required. You see, when you follow Jesus, you don't just say, well, I'm accepted, I'm, I'm loved as I am, so I'll just stay as I am. No, the grace of God impels and compels us to want to uh, participate and in the changes that he wants to bring in our lives. And Zacchaeus feeling accepted by Jesus. And by the way, it's not recorded that Jesus said anything at the meal about Zacchaeus needing to make restitution. But somehow, grace caused Zacchaeus to want to change and grow. So this idea of acceptance is not a license for us continuing in negative patterns of sin. Jesus wants to bring beauty into our lives. And as we make good choices and as his presence comes to help us, that beauty can emerge. Well, finally, and lastly, 
we see that one of the lost sheep is celebrated as Abraham's son. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now this is really interesting because Zacchaeus was already a Jew, but he wasn't viewed as a good Jew. He had the ethnicity, but he still needed to be found as one of the lost sheep of Israel. And John the Baptist years earlier had tried to let Israel know that it was no good depending on their ethnic pedigree to save them. Luke uh, chapter 3 and verse 8, John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. You see, that was the view of the day because we're the descendants of Abraham. Well, then we're in. It's enough. And Jesus is saying, no, no, Israel is like lost sheep and they need saving. Zacchaeus remarkably now is declared to be a son of Abraham. We don't know in Bible terms what happened to him, Zacchaeus, but we do know from church history. Uh, the Bishop of Alexandria, Clement, whose writings still exist to this day, uh, spoke of Zacchaeus and he says that he continually, uh, it continued faithfully in the growth and nurture of the Lord and he served Christ to the end of his life with distinction, being elevated ultimately to the role of bishop at Caesarea. I mean, look at that. The tax collector becomes a bishop. Well, let's just end by going back to that, that son of Abraham comment. See, it's possible in, in America today to be raised in church, to be tagged as a coming from a Christian background, to have a vague Christian belief, but to never actually know what it is to be found by Jesus yourself. Do you know it's possible to attend Timberline week after week for years, to check in online, to gather as we've more recently been able, to have a vague curiosity even, but not to actually know Jesus. What might God do with you today if you said, here and now, this day, just like Zacchaeus did, this day, I want to know Jesus. Curiosity happened with beautiful results. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you see us, you know us, and that you utterly love us. This is marvelous. Would you grant us confidence when we feel so unworthy to draw close to you? Cause us, Lord, to be those who allow you to bring beauty to our lives, knowing that you totally accept us and yet you want to change us, to grow us, to lead us forward. And for any of us, Lord, who may vaguely describe ourselves as Christians, but we've never firmly decided that we want to be all in and become followers of Christ. Lord, this day perhaps, we invite you to take charge in our lives. Before I conclude this prayer, let me just say, please listen up in just a few moments, because if you're deciding as Zacchaeus decided, if you're deciding today, I want to be a follower of Jesus, 
Help is at hand. Please listen in to the information um, that we're about to share. So Father, we praise you because in the strangest of times, we continue our journey with you and through your power. Be with each and every one of us this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.